Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Become Fire podcast. Um, it is your host for this week, Father Anthony. Uh, I am not joined by my reg- regular compadres, uh, so a little sad, a tear in my eye because of them. But as you all know, we have are doing a special series on healing. So I'm very excited to have a guest with me, Aaron Sylvester. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Um, so uh, if you haven't heard our last two podcasts, I want to highly recommend it. We're go- doing a... I don't know if I should call it a four-part series, an eight-part series. It's kind of four different aspects of healing in eight different podcasts. So this is either the third part or the second part A, if it, depending on how you want to look at things. I don't know how they're labeling them online, but we are in, uh, we've talked about physical healing in the past two weeks. We had a beautiful time with Paul and Bessie talking about Paul's physical healing and how that has impacted the spiritual life of he and his wife and his family. And today we're going to move into emotional healings. We're going to focus in on emotional healing and why emotional healing is so important in our walk with God, that every aspect of healing is important and we need to seek God for these healings and how important it is for emotional healing. So I'm so excited. We have Aaron with us. And so uh, Aaron, um, I respect you in a lot of ways, um, but you are the mother of eight children, which I find to make you almost a living saint. Uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, your, you're just a little bit about yourself and what it's like being the mother of eight kids. Uh, So I wish it would like automatically give you sainthood because (laughs) that would be, that'd be really helpful (laughs) in motherhood. Um, But it doesn't. And, uh, but I, I must say that I would have never dreamed when I was 20 that I would actually have had eight kids. I think I, yeah, I thought maybe one in five years after I'd gotten married at uh, 23. So to have eight is such an incredible blessing. Um, and the last two, I feel like I call them my bonus babies. Um, they're such incredible gifts. So I'm so thankful for what God has given me in their lives. So that's really good stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm a mother and I'm a wife and I'm involved with grief to grace and restore dignity. And, um, I love the Lord. So I guess that's all that really that's is. Awesome. <laughs> well, let's get, before we get into your story, let's talk about that. What is Restore Dignity? Um, so Restore Dignity was founded as a result of grief to grace. Um, when, as a part of my own healing journey, um, recognized after I went on a grief to grace retreat, the need for an organization to exist, um, to bring grief to grace here to the Valley. Like literally right when I actually, when I heard about the retreat, I knew it was something special. It totally moved my heart. Um, when I was on a Rachel's vineyard at the end of that retreat, um, the facilitator said, and the creator of this retreat, Dr. Teresa Burke, um, created grief to grace. And then my heart went on fire and I was like, I knew I needed to go on that retreat. And so I actually went to the diocese and, uh, they, they paid for my first retreat and in Oregon. And after that retreat, I met Dr. Teresa Burke and felt called to definitely bring her. I was like, Phoenix needs this program. And And, and what is grief to grace? So it's exactly what it says. It is (laughs) grief grief to grace. Um, it's taken me, I think a while to actually unpack. I'm constantly unpacking what that actually does mean. Grief to grace. Um, in a lot of ways it is restoring one's dignity. 
the dignity of the human person. I mean, there's definitely multiple dimensions to that, uh, but grief to grace is definitely a, a piece of that. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really the essence of the retreat is to unpack your grief and uh, surrender it and give it to the Lord and, you know. Oh, that's See what awesome. he does with it. So a little plug, um, having been on our Grief to Grace Street and helped put on our Grief to Grace Street, they are incredible. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about emotional healing, but certainly fast forward to uh, one of our, our going away points that if there is particular extra trauma in your life that you really want need to work on, God wants you to work on, Grief to Grace is a wonderful retreat. We'll give you those resources, uh, talk more about how to f- look one of those up at the end of our podcast. But before that, let's get into, Aaron, your story. So again, we're focused on emotional healing mm-hmm. and, and God's done a lot of emotional healing in your life. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just talk a little bit about you, if you don't mind talking about where you were born, growing up, a little bit about uh, childhood and young adulthood and, and your life. And, uh, and we'll obviously move into how God has done a lot of emotional healing in your life. Okay. So I was born in, in Napa, California. Um, it's actually where my dad was born. And then I moved here when I was about five years old. Um, I was baptized Catholic, born and raised Catholic, went to Catholic schools growing up, um, had great examples of Catholic living, uh, definitely through the priests at our parish. Um, I, I got a pretty good, pretty good formation growing up uh, through St. Mary's in Chandler. I grew up in Chandler for the most part. When I was five, we moved to Chandler and uh, various houses, but yeah. And then I pretty much live there still, like pretty close to where I grew up. And then I went to Seton in high school, which is where I also met my husband. Um, so I would say I had a, a pretty typical Catholic um, experience for those children who've gone to Catholic schools. Um, I, you know, I've witnessed a lot, um, witnessed the good and the bad. Um, I, and I experienced a lot during those years, the good and the bad. I was reflecting actually a little bit this morning with my husband about it. I think there were like kind of two errands that coexisted okay. during that part of my life. I had a, a home errand and a school errand. And I think at, at some point in my healing journey in the last, like I would say 10 years, I realized that there was a great need to integrate those two. And I feel like God is, um, God is causing that integration um, pretty regularly, <laughs> wow. which is nice. Yeah, I want to pause there for a second because I think you're talking on, about something that a lot of, especially our young people experience, mm-hmm. where uh, they feel like they're one person at home and a different person at school. Mm-hmm. Or even people at work, they feel like they're one person at home, one person at work. Mm-hmm. And they have this uh, almost division, uh, compartmentalization of their lives. Mm-hmm. What do you think led you to that mentality? And why do you think that is a bad mentality to have? Uh, definitely, um, there was a there was a huge, a huge disconnect between what was happening at home and what was happening um, at school. And I think in order to protect myself, the mind is really, really amazing. In order to protect myself, it created these compartments. And uh, yeah. And so then, it, it, yeah, it was actually necessary, I think, in order for my own, for my own growth, um, because it actually allowed me to grow yeah. because at school I was, I was so disconnected from that home. Uh, the trauma that was happening there I was so disconnected from that, that at school I was actually able to flourish mm. and grow. And so I had, um, yeah, I had a way, a means to survive, to get through because there was so much good that was happening there. Right, right. Um, 
I think it's different than like wearing a hat. Like um, if you're at, like at work, you wear one particular hat or if you're a facilitator of retreat, you wear one particular hat. If you're a counselor, you wear one particular hat. It's different than wearing different hats. I think what, what I'm talking about is a major disconnect, a deep, a, a deep compartmentalization that happens um, in your formative years. So like the first 18 years of your life. And I think the mind does that, the compartmentalization in order to, for your survival yeah. in order for you as a child or, yeah, as a child growing to allow you to grow in some way. Um, yeah. And, and we talked about survival and this, is, I think important for emotional healing that some people will talk about these fight, flight, freeze, or fawn modes. If you could just real briefly tell us, you're obviously in a defense mechanism. What are defense mechanisms and mm -hmm. what are these modes people try to fall into to protect themselves? Okay. So uh, these modes happen when, when your life is being threatened. So like there's like basic needs of every person, um, food, shelter, and safety. And when one of those areas is being compromised, um, you go into a fight, flight, freezer, fawn mode. Um, but then on another level, uh, when you have deep compartments in your, in your brain, in your psyche, and one of those um, areas are hidden from you, and so you're going along, it's like, School Aaron, I'll just call her School Aaron. It's the Aaron that's right here. You know, I'm, <laughs> they're not two different me's, but they're. Right. <laughs> um, so if if the home Aaron was triggered in some way, something that was happening while I was at school that kind of um, reminded me of home, I would go. You can go into a fight, flight, freezer, fun mode. So it's kind of like it's like I felt like maybe my safety would be compromised, um, or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And, and then you're talking about like either physically or emotionally, you're looking to either run away uh, or you're looking to just uh, just not do anything, numb yourself out. And we see you think, see people do this. They they go watch Netflix all day. They sleep all day. They they're always cleaning. They're always acting. They're avoiding things by doing these different methods, which doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're actually running, but it can mean that you're emotionally running. Yeah. So what was really cool about my upbringing. So I was I grew up in a Catholic environment. So I kind of had some really cool things to flee to and to, um, like to run to. I had the mass, the, the, I would actually go to adoration. I'd go to mass as a place to soothe myself yeah. growing up. So that was really quite a beautiful thing being surrounded by Catholicism. Um, that when I was triggered, it, I would actually sent me to Jesus because it, he was like satiates and brings peace and calm back in, which is, is exactly what you need in order yeah. to get. But obviously there was trauma there. Absolutely. And there was I, I, a lot I want of trauma. you to anything you're not willing to share, but if we can get into what is the trauma that God had to heal? Okay. So I was sexually abused growing up, um, incest, and it actually took me a long time to actually say that word incest, but uh, yeah. And that go, it went pretty deep. It started pretty young. And that led uh, to an abortion and when I a forced abortion when I was in seventh grade. And well, after that, I thought it I thought they had stopped. I, th I thought it was over. I thought I didn't have to deal with it anymore. And I moved on in a way. Um, my brain had figured out a way to move on. Um, and the sexual abuse had stopped um, for the most part at that point. So I moved on with my life um, and in a way, not really moving on, right? Because I'm, I'm 
have a lot of coping skills. Um, one of my primary coping skills was to flee to and go to mass and adoration. Definitely, I just kind of like, I went to confession way too much. And maybe that's not possible, but. <laughs> you became scrupulous. Yeah, okay. yeah, it did. And then also I distracted myself. I like joined every activity you could possibly join um, at school. So my mind kept very distracted and consumed with doing and um, and school, you know, every activity I could get involved in that I had time for. If I had any time, I filled it with an activity. Mm. And even then I created more activities on top of my already full agenda yeah. uh, <laughs> to keep my mind consumed. And that followed me into my marriage. Actually. And, can I start, and you were probably getting a lot of accolades for these things. You yeah. know, going to church, doing all these things. So the exteriorly, there's probably a lot of reinforcement that says these are good behaviors. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily that the things themselves are bad, but I think we'll get into and say, well, the issue at hand was you were avoiding some deeper things by by being so active, by running and, all the, and even to Jesus, even to mass, um, that, that, that obviously he's the one to run to, but mm-hmm. there was other stuff that had to be brought to him, which wasn't being brought to him, that was being avoided. And so that can be hard too. And there's these external kind of accolades and saying, oh, keep up the activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, well, no, we, we, it, not if we're not dealing with the things. So yeah, but keep going even into your marriage. Yeah, I don't think I could have dealt with anything at that point in my life. Because I, yeah, I'm not sure. God's timing is perfect. And right. I really trust that his unfolding of my healing journey had to be the way it was. Right. Um, so yes, into my marriage, uh, I joined every single church ministry you could possibly <laughs> join. I remember someone saying to me, Aaron, you're part of nine different ministries at this church. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, how do you do it? Well, I, you know, I don't know, God, <laughs> how else do you do it? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, so it, it definitely fled into my marriage and into my relationship with my husband. Only in hindsight do I see how much it had affected me. Right. Um, so when I express like these things, it's only because I've come to know them in the last 10 years, the five, five to 10 years. Um, so like my husband, I, I saw him as, I, it's going to sound horrible, but I actually thought when I got married that I was the better half. Yeah. <laughs> and so women typically are. So <laughs> uh, I just think it's horrible. But in actually loving him, um, I realized uh, what an incredible man I married. And he's a good, good man. And through his loving me, there was a conversion that happened uh, through engaging in natural family planning and what the church had designed for our marriage. Um, He, God taught me through my husband what real love looked like. And so that started to change me, even though I saw him as a speed bump, you know, um, to the next activity. Um, he, he was changing me. And so that's what created an openness to life was his love for me made me think, oh, well, he could he would be a really good dad. Mm. And then we got a cat and I was, I was like, whoa, if I could love a cat, surely I could love a baby. And then I witnessed the birth of my niece. And after that, it was witnessing a a magnificent uh, birth and she was healthy and my sister made it look easy. Um, So that created the openness to life. And basically our firstborn was born nine months later. Oh, praise God. Yeah. And then. 
motherhood has changed things too. Okay, yeah, tell me about that. Um, so through motherhood, you realize all your faults <laughs> because they're kind of staring at you through your children. And so then um, I was realizing all my a lot of disconnects. I was very disconnected and I I can see it now like wow, I was so disconnected and all those um, compartments were playing in my home life. But all I would see would be like outbursts. Um, I had definitely had anger outbursts. I had times of uh, grief outbursts. I would just be grieving f- when for seemingly no reason, but I would I would have all these emotional like overflows. And so there came to a point where I was like begging God for healing. Um, I had no idea what I needed healing from. I just knew that there some, was something wrong. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a good mom. I mean, I was good enough, but I knew I, I needed healing. So tell me what that feels like. Reflecting, I know it's hard, but because I think, again, a lot of our people feel the same way where you would obviously experience terrible trauma right? Um, incest, abortion. But yet here you are all these years later. And when you look back, you're like, I can't think about like what the problem is, you know, uh, which in one sense from the outside looking, you're like, hello, it looks like pretty obvious. But at the same time, when you're in it, you don't always see it. Um, so uh, that's just so interesting to me that, that you can actually be in that place. And what was it like, I guess, or how can you describe that where you're like, I know there's a problem here, but I can't pinpoint it, even though um, everyone around you might be like, it seems kind of obvious. And how could, how should somebody uh, uh, maybe help, help love themselves to that kind of a situation? Okay. So in my home, there were secrets and you didn't talk about it. So nobody knew yeah. except for the abuser and myself. And yeah. so why would, why would I talk about it? And then after, um, after the abortion, I, um, I had to I had to figure out a way to move on. So the way I did was forgive and forget. Yeah. Um and so I I forgave them. Yeah. It was over. I yeah. forgave them. I moved on. Right. That was the only way my brain and I could figure out how to move forward. I had no idea what forgiveness meant at that moment, <laughs> but I I had some inkling of an understanding of what I thought forgiveness meant at that moment or and then in choosing forgiveness to moving forward. And I mean, there were some really beautiful things my mom taught me growing up. Um, kill them with kindness. Um, you know, so those who hurt you, you actually, like, you love them more. Um, so it was a very interesting dynamic uh, growing up. Yeah. So when I'm talking about, like, I'm, I'm around 30 now, and <laughs> I'm, there's a very distinct moment. I remember, like, yelling at my kids at a decimal that probably was not appropriate. That was not appropriate. And my sister was walking up my walkway. So I knew she heard me. So it was like this moment in which I was like held accountable for my behaviors in the home. And it was, it was very, yeah, I felt very ashamed. Yeah. And that moment catapulted me into, into the begging for forgiveness because I mean, not for forgiveness, for healing. Well, yeah, and forgiveness too. Um, because of that accountability. And it's not like I wasn't like going to confession and confessing what my behaviors, um, but that changed things. That accountability yeah. really changed things for me. And 
and knowing that there was something wrong. But once again, that was 30. The abortion was at 12. The sexual abuse happened and I was disconnected. My brain had literally put up walls, like fortified walls in my head that kept me from looking at it. And I had patterns of living. I had patterns of thinking. I had patterns of feeling that I was engaging in in order to keep me from looking at that because it was very, it was too painful. Yeah. Yeah, to look sense. at. Yeah, of course, of course. And I didn't know how. Like nobody, I had never heard of any, I'd never heard really of incest before. Yeah. And I had never, I didn't have the words to identify what exactly happened. How do you explain that? Yeah. And when people say they like have anxiety or depression, I was pretty clueless. I, I didn't feel, I literally, I, I didn't feel, even though I would be crying or I would be angry, I don't know if I would have been able to identify a depressive type of state or an anxious type of state at that time. I was so disconnected from my emotions and my yeah, yeah. my body. And would you say Rachel's Vineyard was one of the first major steps towards the healing? And then what happened on Rachel's Vineyard? Absolutely. Yeah. So What did God do? Um, well, I think one of the major steps actually was my father dying. Okay. Um, I hate... Yeah, I think yeah. that that happening um, created a path for me to heal. Okay, um, and then I got to a counselor, kind of unloaded, and and I thought maybe just saying it, like kind of saying something, was going to heal it. So I kind of told her my story. She told me about a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, and then about a year later, I got onto a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. I definitely felt called to it, um, and that was the beginning of my emotional healing, for sure. I've never grieved so much in my entire life. Yeah. It, it, it's um, embarrassing in many ways to, to admit to the fact that I totally ignored my daughter, her yeah. existence, um, until that point. So, like... <sighs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, with all of us. And we'll, we'll delve in a little bit more into kind of healing itself and some of our theological reflections in the next episode. But I want to, um, just because of time, move on to, then you you felt called, you went on a grief to grace retreat. Yeah. And so what did God do on that? He just took it to a different level. I felt like, um, so God was calling me to healing to be a better mom and to be a better wife. I've, I felt like that was it. That was my motivation. That was my calling. Going on a Rachel's Vineyard, taking care of like the kids first, um, was like the first level of healing, take care of the kids. Yeah. Um, and then the grief to grace was kind of like another level. So it's taking care of me, what, what happened to me and having to name and label. And then I learned all these amazing things like fight, flight, freeze and fawn and uh, all the other amazing things you actually learn about healing. And that I learned healing was real. I learned I had an inherent dignity. I had an inherent worth. Um, even though I was I was shown that on the retreat. There was a lot I was shown on the retreat that didn't unpack, I would say, until later. Like the actual understanding of what just happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did how did that occur? Um, from continuing to walk, um, walk through the healing, recognizing that it's not a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. And uh and just kind of being docile to what the Lord was showing me. And and then my own, yeah, and just and just kind of moving with what needed to be healed next. I mean, that was a major, major portion to get that grief out of the way, that anger, like 
I obviously I knew I had some anger issue because it happened with like little blow ups at home. But otherwise I was pretty disconnected from my anger. And when I went on the retreat, I had no, like, I thought it was actually the dumbest retreat ever <laughs> until the anger exercise, actually right before the anger exercise. And we did the trauma bonds and I was like checking off all these things. And I was like, what? And then I was, I was, I got angry because of the trauma bonds exercise. And then the <laughs> anger exercise was right after it. And yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, so yeah, let's, um, that's something I do want to touch on just now. And again, we're going to, we're going to pick back up with Aaron next episode, but you talked about like your grief and anger. Can you walk us through, like, there's these stages to the, of griefing that a lot of people go through, um, which include, you know, anger and grief and, and denial. And, uh, uh, and what, what are these things? And what do you mean when you say like, I wasn't in touch with my anger and what does it mean for someone to even recognize? Because we're talking about emotional healing. And sometimes to be emotional healing, we got to recognize, I need emotional healing. And we don't always recognize these things. Mm-hmm. So what are maybe some, some of these steps that, that we can maybe look at and say, oh, if we're in one of these stages, maybe we need to take this to the Lord and investigate. Maybe I am in need of emotional healing there. Mm-hmm. So right after my retreat, I got a bunch of first aid kits. It was the f- I didn't really you'd think by that point I had six kids Uh yeah, I had six kids by that point. You'd think I'd have Band-Aids in the house, right? No, I didn't have Band-Aids. I didn't have very, or like I would just go through them and then I'd forget and then I'd remember eventually. But after that retreat, it was like there was this understanding of the need to tend to the wound. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and so I got a, I got first aid kits for the cars and for my bathroom and I, I went first aid kits. <laughs> and then I started to like see the actual process happen in my children. Like there's, there's a natural process of grief that children actually go through. And I think you're supposed to actually learn this in the first 18 years of your life. It's, but I think mine was stifled. I was stifled in that process, but you can actually see it. They fall down. They, they actually get angry. Some, and a lot of times for, depending on the temperament of the child, the anger turns into crying. But there is like an initial anger once the wound hurts and then they're going to their mom trying to like figure out like, does she care? Does it matter to her that I'm hurting? And then and then there's like this acceptance and then they continue to play. So there's a natural process that humans actually have within them to help them work through wounds. And um, yeah, I I mine was stifled. And so. I went from my retreat and I turned it towards my children and actually through watching them and loving them and tending, now I was tending to their wounds. When they got hurt, I was validating yeah. the pain. Yeah. Which is exactly what our Heavenly Father wants to do with us. Yeah. Yeah. It's helped us to, to not be in those stages. We're in denial, mm-hmm. you know, which is the first stage. And then we're just stuck in anger mm-hmm. uh, or we're stuck in, in grief or stuck in sorrow. Mm-hmm. We're stuck in bargaining, you know, bargaining with God, bargaining with others, and mm-hmm. move us to a place where we can accept mm-hmm. and allow him in to that healing place, which is so beautiful to hear you tell your story. And we're going to get back into this and kind of delve a little bit deeper into all these things. So uh, come back with us next week um, where we talk a little bit more, as we've heard Aaron's story, about emotional healing and our journey with God and why emotional healing is so important. Because I think Aaron's story is so beautiful because she was going to church. Like she was, she did have this relationship with God, and yet... Uh, I think she could tell us it's so much deeper now 
because she's done all this emotional healing. And she's closer to her husband, she's closer to her kids, she's closer to God because of it, which shows the importance of emotional healing. This is a teaser alert for what we're gonna talk about next time. Um, but Aaron, I wanna do two things. First is I wanna give people uh, resources. So if they wanna learn more about a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat, where would they go for that? rachelsvineyard.com rachelsvineyard.com you just look at Rachel's Vineyard mm-hmm. you go to rachelsvineyard.com and there are retreats that happen here in Phoenix they're also all over the country mm-hmm. beautiful retreat they're for post-abortion healing so if you've had an abortion you know someone's having an abortion or you're a, a father whose uh, wife or girlfriend had an abortion a great place to go and to receive healing from uh, from the wound of abortion and then uh, Grief to Grace if someone wants to is interested in this Grief to Grace retreat uh, something they want to look more into how would they find out more information and look into a retreat I would Google grief to grace and there's like a square space um, for grief to grace. And then our website, restoredignity.org, .org, not.com. Okay. Restoredignity.org. We have our local um, retreats listed on there and then some testimonies. And then to give you a little bit more information about the retreat on our personal local website. Perfect. So restoredignity.org to learn more about uh, grief to grace here in the Valley and then grief to grace. Um, you can type that into Google. It'll take you to the website and you can look more about where retreats are, a little bit more about that retreat itself. And then, uh, Aaron, you yourself are a counselor. Yes. Are you looking for clients? Do we want to we want to put a plug in or are you like, I'm full right now? <laughs> I'm pretty full right now. Okay. Well, I was going to put a plug, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to, have to save it if you ever have any openings for a wonderful, beautiful council we have in the Valley. Aaron, thank you so much. And we'll be back with you next week. But before we do that, if you didn't know this, we always have a fun question to end our, our podcast to learn more about our guests. And so I'm just, because you have eight kids, I really want to know what's your favorite fairy tale and why? Oh my goodness. Favorite fairy tale. I definitely think it's Beauty and the Beast. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Why? Um, Well, just because it's a, I felt like it was about a little girl and I'm a girl (laughs) and her finding real love um, in an unexpected place. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, there's hope for you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sean, Sean is her wonderful, wonderful husband. Pray for him. He's soon to be a deacon. Uh, so a real blessing upon that life. Um, and uh, I don't know, just just to, I, I, I haven't thought a lot about this. I just kind of asked the question. I think Jack and the Beanstalk always speaks to me only because like his his grandma or his mom or stepmom, whoever it is, I think his mom is like, you're an idiot. You just sold our cow for beans. And he, but he just, he knew it was the right thing to do. Like there's something about him is all like, I don't think he got tricked. That's a seed. He's like, he knew that it almost like that, like the spirit calls, like you might think like, this looks like a total dumb decision, but it just, that's just a thing of beans. It's like, no, 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 this is, this is, this is God. This is real. And, and the, it turns out, you know, gets the treasure, plants the beans, goes the beanstalk, gets the treasure. So uh, thank you so much, Aaron. That's fantastic. And would you close us in a prayer? Oh, dear Lord. Yes. Okay. Just Holy Spirit come down upon all our listeners and us here today. Please help us throughout our day and help us to grow closer to the King, to our Most High King. Uh, Mama Mary, just wrap your mantle around all of us and direct us towards your Son as he's manifested to us in the Most Holy Eucharist at Mass and in adoration. Dear Lord Jesus, please be with us as we walk this life here on earth. Be with us in our everyday living as whatever our vocation is. Let us pray a Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of our listeners in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.